All right. Uh, good morning. A few months ago, Keith came to me and asked me to preach today, Palm Sunday. And he said that it's up to me what I preach on, but he explained that the way he was working through Luke and the schedule, that the pace he was on and everything, he said that it looks like on this particular Sunday um, in Luke, we're going to be at um, Luke's description of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's the Palm Sunday story. Uh, so it was falling on, guess when? Palm Sunday. Uh, what are the chances of that? As Art Nodecker would say, he'd say 100%. And for those of you who don't know Art, he's a big sovereignty of God guy. And like many of us, he doesn't believe in dumb luck. So God apparently worked out our schedule to have the biblical text about Palm Sunday fall on Palm Sunday. Uh, that's awesome. So what did I tell Keith? No, I'd really like to preach on something else. No, of course not. Uh, and I'm actually super pumped to preach on this uh, text today. But I don't want to charge ahead in my enthusiasm uh, or definitely not in my own power. So uh, if I can, let's go to the Lord and pray and have the Holy Spirit take over instead of me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, like I just said, Father, I, I don't want to uh, do this sermon uh, in my own strength, in my own excitement. I would rather you, your Holy Spirit, who I know is here. I, I pray that we would sense his presence and that he would speak through me. Uh, he would say what needs to be said. And I uh, also pray for, uh, for all of us as we understand your word. We, we hear what it says, and I pray that it would... Um, change us, not just educate us, uh, but, but change us. Uh, by the end of this service, uh, may we be different somehow uh, by the work of your Spirit. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. I think I'm more of a teacher than a preacher, uh, so, and so I'm kind of a note-taking kind of guy. Uh, so I put sermon notes in all the bulletins today. As you opened them up, they probably fell out on the floor, and you're like, what is this? Uh, anyway, I, I, if you follow along those notes, even if you don't write in them, if you just use them as an outline, I think you'll get more out of today's message. Uh, our text this morning is, is Luke 19, 28 through 40, and uh, I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles now if you want, or your devices, or um, in one of the pew Bibles that's under the chair in front of you. We'll put it on the screen as well, but personally, I get more benefit um, from having the Word of God right in my own hands. Uh, when you have your own Bible, you can, you can underline, you can highlight stuff, you can write in the margins, all kinds of stuff like that. And if you don't have your own Bible, uh, go ahead and take that pew Bible and you can write in it. You can highlight, you can mark it up, seriously. And then just take that Bible home with, the, with you. Everybody should have a Bible, so feel free to take that with you if you don't have one. Now, although the main text is Luke 19, um, I'm going to bounce around and look at some other passages as well. If you want to just stay in Luke, uh, that's fine, rather than trying to keep up with me as I, as I jump around. All the other verses we're going to look at are probably just one or two at a time, and I'll definitely have them on the screen. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this passage that I'll try to point out, but there's one main point that I want to focus on. It's the praise that was given to Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Today we're going to talk about praise, what it is, 
uh, what it looks like, why we do it, and what might keep us from doing it. Here's my goal. I want to give all of us permission to worship God in more expressive ways if we believe that will honor him more. So there you go. Right out of the gate, you know where I'm going. It's to give you permission to worship in more expressive ways. I'm not going to tell you uh, what our praise and worship should look like, uh, but I am going to explain what it could look like so that we all feel that it wouldn't be wrong for us to, whether it's raise our hands or or clap our hands or, or shout out amen or whatever. We're trying to give you permission to do that. So let's look at uh, the main text, Luke 19, 28 through 40. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So, They went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. I want us to look at this event from, from four different perspectives. The, uh, and the first perspective is the perspective of the Jews. This was the beginning of Passover, the time when the Jews traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. They were celebrating the Exodus story, how the blood of a perfect lamb smeared on the doorposts of their houses saved them from that 10th plague in which God destroyed the firstborn son of homes that did not have the blood on their doorposts. God would pass over the homes that had the blood. So in a very real way, that blood saved lives. Now this was a major celebration for them. But for the Pharisees, the ones that didn't recognize Jesus as God, they saw Jesus as a distraction, even a threat to their Jewish rule. They saw the crowds praising him, and in verse 39, some of them called on Jesus to rebuke the crowd for praising him as God. Jesus' reply to them helps us see his perspective. He tells them, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So this is Jesus's perspective. He sees the the praise that he's getting as a good thing, so much so that if necessary, 
God could miraculously make inanimate, inanimate objects start to cry out in praise. However, although Jesus knows he's worthy of praise and that it's right for people to praise him, you wouldn't know it by his appearance. He's riding on a donkey. Not, not even a full-grown donkey. It's a colt. Back then, triumphal entries were, were what we might call victory parades. Uh, the people in the parade would be riding on war horses or in battle chariots, celebrating some type of victory. But not Jesus. Jesus' Jesus's appearance is one of obvious humility. And if you think about it, Jesus has always been about humility. He came into the world in humility, a baby in a manger. Here he's headed to his own death in humility on a donkey. And he ends up dying in humility on the cross in front of everyone. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says it well. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. All of this was planned, and Jesus knew it. The plan was prophesied about in the Old Testament, even down to the details of the cult. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of, of, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This triumphal entry was all planned and prophesied about. Again, let's try to imagine Jesus' perspective. Yes, he was being praised as he rides into Jerusalem, and I imagine that felt good. But let's realize that he knew what was coming. He knew the plan. And although he had forewarned his disciples of what was coming, he was probably the only one who really knew the plan. Well, of course, his father knew, uh, but even his father would abandon him when he was on the cross. On that donkey was the sacrificial lamb. The Jews would be buying or bringing real lambs to slaughter for their Passover meal, but only Jesus knew that he was the true sacrificial lamb. This was a lonely journey. That was Jesus' perspective. Third, let's consider the perspective of the followers of Christ. And I'm, I'm talking about the people who were literally following him on this road to Jerusalem. They were not just Jesus' disciples. This was a large crowd of people who were praising God and Jesus. Why were they praising him? We find the answer at the end of verse 37 where it says, they were praising him for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. What had they seen or at least heard about? What were these miracles? Well, he turned water into wine. He healed lepers. He gave sight to blind people. He cast out demons from children. In one case, he cast out a whole legion of demons into a herd of pigs. Scripture records that multitudes multitudes were brought to him just so they could touch his robe 
to be healed. He miraculously fed 4,000, and then another time 5,000. He healed the centurion slave who was close to death. He healed the paralyzed man who was lowered on a mat through the roof. He made the deaf hear and the dumb speak. He walked on water. He calmed a storm just by commanding the winds to stop. He healed the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He he healed a crippled woman who was bent over for 18 years. He healed a man by the pool who had not walked in 38 years. He raised Lazarus from the grave after he had been there for four days. That is the perspective that these followers had as they praised and worshiped this Jesus. Mm -hmm. How awesome that would have been to be part of that crowd. But as I thought about it this week, I thought maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't have been so great to be part of that crowd because their perspective was not entirely right, uh, or at least uh, it wasn't complete. They knew what Jesus had done, and they were rightfully praising him for it, but they didn't know what was about to happen. And that's where the, por- the fourth perspective comes in, our perspective. We get the advantage of reading the whole story. We know how this story ends. But just imagine if our knowledge of events ended at the triumphal entry. What if we didn't know about Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? Our relationship with Jesus may be limited to just seeing him as our genie. Maybe just fixing the problems that we have. But Jesus is so much more than a genie. The followers praising him along the triumphal entry would have, would have at best seen Jesus as the one who would save them. But we can look at Jesus as the one who has saved us. Our perspective is the best of all three human perspectives. We not only know about the miracles that I just listed, but we know of the greatest miracle ever that occurred at the end of this Passion Week. We know about Jesus' trials his unfair conviction, the suffering before and while on the cross, and most importantly, we know about his resurrection. We know that because of Christ's sacrificial act of grace and mercy, there has been an incredible exchange of our sins for Christ's righteousness. Because of what Christ did and our acceptance of that gift, our identities were supernatural, supernaturally changed so that we are now in Christ, or that Christ is is in us. That is an amazing grace, and that deserves way more than waving palm branches. And that's what I wanna now talk about. Let me show you some video portrayals of, of that triumphal entry. Oh, and let me explain that, that name. I've, uh, I've seen it written as triumphal entry or as the triumphant entry, And I don't know which is right or even if there's a difference uh, between them. But what I do know is that triumph is is at the root of either word. And triumph means victory. There is something victorious about Christ's entry. 
And here again, we see the differences in perspectives. The, the followers back then may have seen the expected triumph or victory to be one in which Jesus would become the potential uh, or the political king of that country. Obviously, that was not God's plan. It was actually a much greater triumph or victory. It was the victory over sin. Sin was defeated on that resurrection Sunday. That was truly the triumph, the victory. It was and it still is. The first video shows three different portrayals of the triumphal entry. I want you to notice the the different intensities in the expression of of praise. The first one I think is the least expressive and then it kind of ramps up from there. So let's watch this video. Obviously, these were producers' interpretations of what it might have looked like. All we know for sure is what's in the Bible. We have four different accounts of this procession in the Gospels. Um, I want to look at the Luke account again, but this time I'm going to look at it in the, uh, in the ESV uh, with you. We're just going to look at verses 36 through 38 in Luke 19. Um, yeah, here we go in ESV. As he rode along... They spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then I also want to look at Mark's account, again in the ESV. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It seems to me like the, like the last video may have been a closer portrayal to the gospel accounts. I'm envisioning some pretty fired up people being super pumped to be with this Jesus who performed all those miracles. But we're still talking about the followers who don't have the full perception that we have. If we were there and and we knew all that we know now about Jesus, I wonder if it may have looked something like this. Check out this video. All 
All right, if you're a basketball fan, you know exactly what that is. Uh, those are the Virginia fans after they won their first ever NCAA basketball championship this past Monday night. That is a high level of expressive praise, uh, to say the least. You probably noticed my sermon title, Triumphal Entry is Greater Than March Madness. In all reality, uh, we know that these two events should not even be compared. The, the triumphal entry marks the beginning of Passion, Passion Week, the week that changed the world forever. Virginia winning a basketball championship, not so much. Some March Madness fans may not agree, but this is, of course, the truth. In both those videos, we saw many forms of praise, shouting, clapping, jumping, waving palm branches, laying cloaks on the road, and raising hands. What I want to do now, though, is shift our focus to praise and worship in this very auditorium. What could it look like here? As I said earlier, I don't want to tell you how to express your praise, but I want to give you permission to do so. Let's look at the different expressions of praise. Uh, we're going to look at, uh, at nine of them, and it is by no means an exhaustive list. After first service, I had people say, well, you missed this, you missed this, like, like dancing, like, like crying. Uh, you know, there's different things we can do, but anyway, I've got nine of them here. Uh, we see the first two in Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, we know that they were waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks down, uh, either on the donkey donkey or on the road in front of Jesus. From what I learned this week, the waving of palm branches was a cultural thing for Jews and Romans uh, that symbolized victory. And throwing their cloaks down symbolized submission to Jesus as king. Now that's no longer the way we symbolize victory or, su or submission. So we're probably not going to be doing either of those things in here. But what do we do? We sing and sometimes we sing loudly. Psalm 68.4 says, Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. I don't think this one is a question for, for us, no matter how we were brought up. Certainly we know that it's okay to sing, even to sing loudly. As we sing, I do want to encourage us to make sure we are focus on, focusing on what we were singing, to pay attention to the lyrics. If the lyrics are going right from these screens to our eyes and then to our lips, bypassing our, our mind and our heart, then we are not really worshiping. Worshiping has to involve the heart. The fifth expression on our list is shouting. What about shouting? Is that appropriate? Well, first verse of uh, Psalm 100 says, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. And in Psalm 66, it says something similar. Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. There you go. We have permission to shout. <laughs> what about applause? Can we clap? Well, First verse of Psalm 47 says, Come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. And it's, it's not only saying that it's all right for one person to do it, it says there that everyone should do it. But if we're going to applaud, what are we applauding? 
And this gets tricky, and I, I can understand why, why we might be a little bit hesitant to applaud. Generally speaking, in a worship service, the expression of our appreciation should be directed this way, vertically. All the verses we have read so far, whether we are singing, shouting, or clapping, they were all directed to God. Now, there are times when we make an exception to that. Uh, We just did it this morning, that that we will express appreciation to, uh, whether it be the youth ministry or our worship team or to a speaker uh, or a a missionary. We're thanking them for uh, either the work they have done or the work that they're going to do. That's fine, but that's not the norm. That is not the norm. Uh, Normally, when we are clapping, we're doing so this way, vertically. All right, I also want to give us permission to offer this vertical applause more than just at the end of a song. There are some lyrics that deserve applause right when we sing them, right in the middle of the song. And let me give you an example. Uh, One of my favorite songs is the Keith and Kristen Getty song, In Christ Alone. Um, And the third verse, I'm putting it up on the screen there for you. Uh, Here's how it goes. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave, he rose again. How can we not applaud when we sing that? And if I'm not, I'm not clapping, I'm at least crying tears of joy. Well, it's not only during and after songs that we can applaud There are times when scripture is being read that we can clap. I was at a biblical counseling seminar a few weeks ago and the the speaker was reading some scripture and many of us in the auditorium were so moved by the scripture, we started clapping. We weren't applauding the speaker, we were applauding the word of God. Here's an example. I love Romans 8.38, listen to this. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You have permission to clap when you want to show God your appreciation for good news like that. Or maybe you just want to shout out amen, and and that's fine too. We can shout out amen whenever we're excited about something that that was sang or or said, and that's that's our number seven on the list. Let me move on to number eight, and that's hand raising. I was watching a video on uh, YouTube by Christian comedian Tim Hawkins on hand raising. Uh, Some of you have seen it, obviously, Uh, and... uh, uh, I came this close to showing that this morning, but I didn't, sorry. You can check it out on YouTube when you get home. Uh, don't look it up on your phones right now. All right. Anyway, he asked his audience, how many, how many people attend a hand-raising church? It's a funny video, but it made me think, are we a hand-raising church? Raise your hands if you think we are. I'm just kidding, just kidding. All right. I was at the same Gospel Coalition conference that Brandon mentioned last week. Uh, It seemed like many of the people there were from more traditional churches um, where they sing probably a lot of hymns, Uh, probably modern hymns, but they're still hymns. Uh, There was, we were sitting in the back, so we could look out over the, the whole 
everybody there, and uh, there were several thousand people there. Uh, there. There was some hand raising going on, but not much. So is hand raising limited to just our more charismatic friends? I don't think so. Uh, Psalm 134.2 says, lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And uh, in Psalm 63, it says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I want you to know that we have permission to raise our hands here at Keystone. No one's going to look down on us when we do that. All right, one more expression of praise that I want to mention, and that's kneeling. Kneeling. This is an expression that has uh, grown at least a little here uh, since the Life Action Summit, and I'm glad to see it. Uh, for me, at that Life Action Summit, I, descri- I, d- I discovered that I struggle with pride. And al- although I haven't uh, been kneeling much in this public worship setting, I have been taking that position of humility, that kneeling, as I pray. So whether it's in prayer or in worship, know that you have permission to kneel. Right here in this service, if you want to, you can kneel. All right. So we've given ourselves permission to sing, to sing loudly, to shout, to clap our hands, to say amen, to raise our hands, and to kneel. There's other stuff we can do to express praise, but let's just start by working on these. Now, what keeps us from doing that, from being more expressive in worship? I'm going to suggest five things. There are certainly other inhibitors, but here are the five that I think affect us most here at Keystone. The first one is tradition. Maybe you were brought up in a more traditional church and hand raising or clapping was just not done. That was the case with me. I grew up in three different Presbyterian churches, all of them really traditional. We sang hymns, and we certainly didn't raise our hands. I don't think we were taught not to raise our hands, but no one did. And it just didn't seem appropriate to do it. I think of my first experience with hand raising was when we became youth group leaders and we took our youth group to the Creation Christian Music Festival. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. All right, I remember... um, those first few songs, and, and I'm looking around, you know, I think at one point there were like 90,000 people, and, you know, they've got their hands up, and, and I'm like, you know. <laughs> you know, eventually maybe by like the fifth song or something, I've, I've, I'm, I'm up there, but boy, it took a while to, uh, to, break that, to break that tradition. If this is you, let me encourage you to break it. Maybe you noticed that in the scriptures we read about these expressions of praise, they kind of sounded more like commands than suggestions. I'll read a couple of them to you. It said, sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. It doesn't say, maybe you should do that. It just, it just listed, listed as a command. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the command. Or praise the Lord. But again, let me emphasize that I'm not telling you that you must praise God in a certain way. I'm really not. But I am encouraging encouraging you that regardless of your tradition, consider what God is saying and how we should praise him. 
All right, number two, maybe you're just a stoic, unemotional, unexpressive person. It's just not your nature to be expressive. And if that is truly the case, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want you to fake more expressive praise. But I would caution you, if you find that there are other areas in in your life where you are being expressive, expressive, like at a football game or a basketball game, then I'd, then if I were you, I would start to question yourself, am I really that stoic person? All right, number three, maybe you're worried about your worship becoming just an emotional thing and not truly a spiritual thing, that the spirituality behind the expression of praise is fake. I recognize that this is a legitimate concern, and we've probably all seen some expressions of praise from people, and it looks like it was fake. We know them, and we're thinking, wow, that expression doesn't look genuine. But I would, I would encourage you not to be scared of emotions. God created us with emotions, and God himself has emotions. I think emotions are a significant component of worship. And I would suggest that we not try to stifle them. All right, number four. I think the the biggest hindrance to more expressive worship is fear of man. I, I think many of us are more concerned about what those around us are going to think about, about what we do, than what God thinks. And this goes both ways. There are times when we, when we might raise our hands because we want people to think of us as good worshipers. Or there may be times that we are simply embarrassed to raise our hands. For me, there are times when I, when I want to clap, but I'm afraid I'm going to be the only one who does. So I wait for others to clap, but sometimes they never do. In times like that, God was robbed of praise from me because I was too worried about what others were going to think. And that's a shame. Instead of allowing our fear of man to limit our expression, I'd encourage us to think of King David's leaping and dancing before the Lord. And scripture says he did it with all his might. Uh, And when his wife confronted him about how stupid he looked, David replied, I was dancing before the Lord, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Why? Because his fear of the Lord was greater than his fear of man. All right, lastly, it's possible that you are not very expressive in worship because you don't really have an intimate relationship with Jesus. You may not truly appreciate who he is, or what he has done for you. If that is the case for you, then I'd encourage you to take this Passion Week and dive into the scriptures that tell us what he did for us on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. You can just look where we're at in Luke and go to the, go to the end of that gospel. Read through it. It'll tell you the full Easter story or look in some of the other gospels as well. And uh, call me. And, and, and ask me about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. All right. Hopefully now we all understand that we have permission to be more expressive in worship. Normally, as we end a sermon, uh, we give you an application to apply sometime in the following week or, or maybe even further down the road. 
in this case, you can apply this sermon immediately because we're about to go into the final worship set. Uh, But before we do, I'd like us to all take a moment to pray, to seek from God how he wants us to worship him. He is whom we're trying to praise. So so let's ask him what would bring him the most glory. And so what I'll do, I'll give you a minute to pray silently by yourself, and then I'll close us. So let's pray and seek what he wants. Father, worship isn't about us. It's about you. So, Father, I'm I'm asking you to to speak to each of us. Uh, Tell us, show us what it is that you want from us as we express our love, uh, as we express praise and worship uh, to you. Show us what that should look like. And I pray that, that... we would be into it with not just our hands or our lips, but we would be into it with our heart. We know you can see right into our, into our hearts, and I pray that you are pleased by what you see. Pray that our worship truly does uh, glorify you. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.